again, everyone. I'm Rob Johnson, president of the consulting firm, Rob Johnson Communications. Welcome to another edition of the Can You Hear Me podcast. And I'm Eileen Rochford, CEO of the marketing and strategy firm, The Harbinger Group. If you've listened to our podcast, you know, we like to discuss the most weighty and topical communications issues of the day that face companies day in and day out. Today's topic is about corporate activism. Is it a slippery slope? What we mean is that CEOs are facing more and more pressure to speak out on societal issues that historically have been taboo to talk about for fear of offending your customers or your clients. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about CEO brand building in some of the episodes that have preceded this one. And, but this one is really more the comfort level. Like we're, we're talking about the changing job, not the job title, but the job requirements of a CEO. And now people are looking at these CEOs and they're saying, what are you doing to make the world a better place? What are you saying about this issue or about that issue? And so this is, um, this is new territory for a lot of them. It is. And it's a, it's a complex thing too. You would think it's as simple as uh, deciding we're not going to comment on sensitive issues that don't pertain to the running of our business. And that's a safe place where you could kind of hang out on the sidelines. And that's really how things I think used to be. Uh, but more and more, there is a mounting body of evidence that uh, there's, there's an expectation on the part of your customers, your clients, your employees, your prospective employees, other stakeholders like your partners, they're all saying, we want the brands and the companies we do business with to take a stand on the important things that are happening in the world right now. So it's not the safe place. The sidelines are at the safe place that they used to be. And decisions are having to be made that impact everything from um, your brand's communications, um, your strategy in terms of fielding questions like this from your various constituents. Uh, all of that has to be taken into account now versus just uh, deciding we're going to we're going to hit the pause button on that because that really doesn't pertain to us. So that's a complex thing, don't you think, Rob? I mean, yeah, how would, you're, you're how would we advise going about uh, approaching that, you know, for an individual company? That's out of the gate, I think, something we might want to talk about today. Well, I think we have to talk about some of the things we've talked about before, which is authenticity to your brand. So that's 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 one point that you want to make. If it's authentic to your brand and it's something that you do, typically it's easy to say, I'm going to weigh in on this. But you just made a great point, Eileen, which is that people are being asked to leave their comfort zones. Companies that don't typically talk about these issues are now being said, okay, okay, boss, what say you? And everybody's looking at him or her, the boss, and waiting for a response, waiting for leadership on a particular issue. And some of these things are very controversial. We also see, I think, a growing almost acceptance and encouragement in places like LinkedIn for people to talk about these important issues. Whereas before it was almost like the separation of church and state, right? You just talked about what the, the things that were central to whatever it is that you do at work or the whatever it is that your company does, you know, as a business. And more and more, um, lots of different roles in companies. Um, I'm seeing those folks talk about issues that really are, would seemingly be tangential to, you know, the work that they do. Um, but somehow it all seems to be kind of blending together now. And that's, that's a kind of a curious phenomenon. Um, I, have you noticed, you know, 
similar occurrences in your observations out there on LinkedIn? It does feel like things are sort of all coming together because we we talk about these things, not in necessarily in vacuums, but they're all sort of here. Here's an issue here. Here's an issue there. And here's an issue over here. And then all of a sudden, those two or three things feel like they're melting a little bit more and that they are related to one another. And it's all built around whether you're a CEO, whether it's your brand, whether it's your company's brand, whether it's the way you did business, you're now having to do it in a different way. The personality profile, their job requirements of a CEO are so much different than they used to be. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But that to me is what's so fascinating is that you can no longer, A, sit on the sidelines, as you said, or B, um, not you know not have an opinion, not show leadership because everybody's like, where's the leadership? And before it used to be like, I don't want to offend anybody because I want all my customers, all my clients to like us. And so we're going to straddle that fence. And now these CEOs are being forced to not straddle the fence, to jump on one side of it or the other side of it. Yeah, it is interesting too. I think um, we've evolved a lot in terms of business strategy in general as well. Most organizations, most brands are well aware that everyone is not their customer anymore. Right. And really understanding the, the, um, the behaviors, the, um, almost triggers of the, uh, or the, the people who are best suited to be your customer. That's where it's at. Right. We all know that. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately what that comes along with now is also that aspect of, well, it's not good enough to just sell me the product or to make a great product that I come back to you time and time again for. Mm -mm. I come to you because your values are aligned with mine. I believe in what you do and how you do it, said brand. And therefore, I want to see that you're standing on the side of right on massive societal issues in particular, things that kind of transcend, like we've talked about on a prior episode the war in Ukraine, for example, that definitely is almost one of those transcending issues that Mm -hmm. um, there more and more brands are expected to say what they think about it, you know, and, and be visible about it in some capacity. So it is, it's a, it's a rapidly evolving world with obviously very high stakes and some slippery ground where you can pretty easily you know, mess it up if you don't give it some, some good thought. And as you mentioned, I think starting with your values is a great place to begin the conversation, but sometimes you're, you're going to face questions, issues that it's not just about your values. Uh, it's also about that fundamental kind of what's right, if you will, um, question. So learning how to navigate that right now, it's becoming increasingly clear is very, very important. It really is. And that's a great segue to when we talk about how the world and the workforce have changed so much and the expectations of leadership from your rank and file workers, first and foremost, and then certainly customers and clients, not saying something about Russia's invasion of Ukraine, for instance, could run you afoul of not only the workforce, but those customers, like I said, who may like your company because of your social conscience. The flip side, of course, is that you take a position on an important issue. Our society is so polarized politically that you are likely to offend at least some people. And that gets into not everybody's your customer, the thing you just mentioned a second ago. The question is, are you earning favor with the audience you want to earn favor with, the people who are your customers, which might outweigh the audience you might offend, which may be not as devoted customers 
as the ones who want you to comment on something. And as we're talking about Ukraine, it, there's a couple of things. It's really easy right now because I feel like the world is like, how can Russia be doing this? And for as polarized as we are, I feel like people are people can identify and say that is wrong. The the place it gets tricky is where the companies have relationships in Russia. They've done business in Russia for years since the uh, you know Iron Curtain fell. And they've made a lot of money there. They've had long-term relationships in, in Russia. And now they're having to either divest or they're having to leave or they're shutting down their operations, whatever the case is. That's where it gets tougher. You've had this great relationship, a profitable relationship for years. And now because of this aggression, because of the atrocities, everything else, you're having to make those tough decisions. I think I think that's a sort of a you know an issue we're talking about Russia Ukraine and then sort of a sub uh, you know sort of a subcategory of that. That is so tough, and it, I, I, it's so interesting. Like I keep calling that issue the war, um, the crisis in Ukraine, uh, an issue that kind of transcends. And I firmly believe that because you 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 see the um, volume of companies, especially those who have vested interests financially, uh, deciding to cease their operations, pull out, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And that, that's going to hurt, right? Yeah. So they wouldn't, they wouldn't do that if they really didn't believe um, that, you know, being on the side of right um, was the place that they needed to be, no matter the consequence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there are those major transcendental or um, transcending, sorry, <laughs> issues. <laughs> that um, companies face now, but there, then there are also kind of more local issues um, that may be about, you know, issues that are in their state house or even um, issues that, um, you know, kind of may have more religious overtones associated with them. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get to one of those issues a little yeah. bit later in this podcast, which is a really important one, but to your point about the the politics of it as well, um, you step out and you say, this is wrong. And you know that you're going to offend maybe half the people because yeah. it is so polarizing politically. And we're going to get into polarization uh, here in just a, a second as well. But it really is an interesting dichotomy, though, when you think about, because I really like what you said earlier about not everybody's my customer. And I'm and, and that acknowledgement, that ability to discern who and who is and who isn't, can help guide you a little bit in this still understanding though, that you don't want to alienate a section of your, of your potential audience, your, your yeah. business, your business partners. Personally, I think everybody needs almost like their own little rubric now for determining when do we step out on this and when do we stay out of it? You know, and while values are a place to start, there there seems to be a lot more to it now than than just the simple values question. Um, so I'm I'm curious to think um, what other to talk about what other elements uh, sh- should be evaluated when people are determining, you know, whether or not they should participate in you know the public discourse on the some of these societal issues particularly those that have religious overtones right that's a place mm-hmm. where um is it it may be an easy place to to draw the line and say okay well that that really has everything to do with um personal religious beliefs and that's not a place where we play 
And you can like that or you can dislike that, but that's a decision that we have made as a company. Or you could be a brand that, that doubles down on it. Like you a, can. Say like a Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. Like Chick-fil-A. Or, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's but for, it, because if that's who that's you work. are, that's okay. Yeah. But yeah. if, if you're not at your core, then fundamentally you should just stay away from it every time. In my opinion, I, that's always been the rule Eileen in, in my mind. And, and I know in yours too, but I feel like the, 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 the comfort zone that these CEOs might've been in, like to say, well, that's not something we normally talk about, which speaks to the authenticity of whatever statement you're going to put out, but now the expectation really feels like you've got to say something. Okay. You can't just say we, we, that that's, that's not, you know, central to our brand, or that's not what we've done in the past. It feels like companies that haven't said anything are being pressured by some of these stakeholders, most of them internal stakeholders, and maybe a few external ones to the customers and clients who are saying, you know, I want to do business with you. I want to feel good about doing business with you. I know you make a great product, but what else do you do? And when it, when it comes to the, what else do you do? That's where you may feel the pressure. I've got to do something or I've got to say something. And this is not something that I normally have done before as a leader of a company. Yeah. Do you think though, Rob, that just the, the, the presence of pressure is ever enough or cause enough to compel action? Uh, a couple of years ago, I would have said no. I, I would say, you know, you have to be true to who you are and that sort of thing. But I think this, some of the um, documentation that's out there now, and we're going to get to a report here in just a second that kind of speaks to it, really makes it feel like the pressure has been, the heat, the proverbial heat has been turned up and you've got to do something. You've got to say something. We have so many of these issues and we're expecting you, Mr. or Mrs. CEO, to, to weigh in on these weighty issues where in years past, maybe you didn't have to. So it depends on when you're asking that question, you're asking the question right now. And the answer is, I think times have changed. Yeah. And, 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 and that's the hard part because it used to be so easy. Just think about it. Is this, I would, I would say to clients, is this authentic to your brand? Do you normally make statements about this particular issue? And if they said, no, I'd say, we'll sit it out. And if the answer is yes, I'm in, I'm like, well, you should say something that was, and that was guidance I would have given two years ago. And now because of all of these competing interests, the things we're talking about that are melding together a little bit, I really feel like there is an expectation so, um, you know, uh, so, so keen and so clear that something has to be done. And yeah. And if you're not, if, if you're not comfortable with that, you are leaving your comfort zone in a big way. Uh-huh. For sure. Yeah. There's no question about it. I think the difference for me t- today is that that simple litmus test that you just described, you know, that was valid two years ago truly is no longer valid, mm-hmm. but it's, it's enough now because of the awareness of the expectation to know that you at least have to consider it you at least have to go through the process mm-hmm. of evaluating what might be our stance on this and what might we want to say publicly. You're not always going to determine that a public statement of some sort, even internal, is required, but going through the process of evaluating that and determining whether you should or not, that's something that I know CEOs, leaders of um 
lots of different, uh, you know, officer positions and organizations are having to face and have to do now, whereas they could have easily dismissed it in the past. They can't do that anymore. They have to at least go the, through the exercise of evaluation. At the very least. Yep. Very least. No and doubt maybe about even it. More. And maybe even more is required. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are so many things that have come up that it has been necessary um, for, I'd say, you know, the majority of larger organizations to think through and put out a statement about and certainly reevaluate their own policies and procedures and lots and lots of other things, no doubt about it. Um, but I think the, the fundamental thing that applies to nearly every leader, every organization now is you cannot just dismiss it. You have to evaluate it and decide. So getting that rubric sorted uh, that you're going to use is a pretty important thing now uh, versus being, you know, kind of caught on your back foot and uh, just having to reel, you know, or be reeling from the situation when it arises. I couldn't agree more. And I think that's a great point of clarification to make too about the way things were versus the way things are now and how there are no easy answers. So to put some context around this, we want to reference uh, we refer to this recently released USC Annenberg Center for Public Relations, the 2022 Global Communications Report on the Future of Corporate Activism. And in it, there is a major discussion about polarization, saying it is no longer the result of disagreements, it is the cause of them. 77% of communications professionals said that polarization is a real challenge when trying to achieve one's organizational communications goals. In fact, 77% said polarization is bad for the country, which is bad for business. I don't think any of us disagree with this, Rob. It's, no. For me, the question is, what the heck can we do about it? Well, think of it. Let's unpack this a little bit. That notion that this first, those first stats from uh, the Annenberg report which is polarization is a real challenge when trying to achieve one's organizational communications goals. So you're a communications professional, PR, CMO, whatever the case may be, and you have a narrative that you want to share about your company. And because of polarization, because you may be forced to wade into some of these issues, you're having to go places that may not help you from a PR standpoint. And I think that's what they're talking about here is that you know what? 77% say polarization is a real challenge when trying to achieve your own communication goals, um, you know, internally in your organization. That's real because you want to stay focused on what the message is and what it needs to be and what everybody's agreed upon. But all of a sudden, these external things happen. These issues crop up. People say, what, what do you think? What do you think, company? And you have to go, gosh, we have to spend time, effort, and we have to really be thoughtful about it. We can't do lip service to it. Right. And especially if you have a leadership style and an organizational you know, executive leadership team kind of culture where consensus is important to you, polarization is going to cause some big issues, not just in terms of your communications, but in, in terms of how you move forward on initiatives. If they are divisive in some way, because they have, you know, they they touch on societal issues that cause people to really dig in, in terms of their beliefs and their own personal values. Um, imagine navigating all of that, right? You kind of have to find the right people who are able to dis- discern what 
what fits at work and what really doesn't fit at work. I think that that still is true. There's a need for that. You know, I'm not going to call it compartmentalization, but there are elements of uh, being able to discern really what is appropriate to dig in about if it is not completely linked to work and company's values. Um, that's, that's, if I, if I were leading large leadership teams, that's something that I would certainly be looking for right about now in particular, because this issue of not being able to agree means stagnation. You're not able to move forward. And that's not something anybody wants or needs right now. You need to be flexible and nimble and able to, to adapt. Yeah. It's the exact opposite of where you need to be, as you just pointed out. And, and all of a sudden you have issues that bog you down that don't allow for consensus and that it's not wasted energy, but it's energy you have to expend to overcome it, to come up with something that is, well, let's just say as uniform as it's going to be, where there appears to be consensus. But if you truly don't have consensus, if you have disagreements, um, it's going to be hard to, to get your message out there in any sort of coherent way, I think. Yeah, you're completely right. <clears throat> the the deliberation process um, will will cost will con- I, I think cost increasing amounts of time as this polarization in our society deepens. Um, so determining who are the right people to help lead you through is going to be really important right about now. Really important. And and as you're sitting here talking about this, Eileen, I look at the second seventy seven percent that said polarization is bad for the country, which is bad for business. And I think that you just gave the example of why that would be the case because you know that there's polarized you know we're we're people right and not everybody agrees on things and all of a sudden you have some of these weighty issues some of these bigger issues some of these more controversial issues that your company is being asked to comment on or weigh in on and it could be bad for business if you can't speak in a uniform and united way so this annenberg report that we're referencing goes on to tackle what we will call CEO self-awareness, okay? Back in the day, maybe five years ago, when a CEO was asked his or her primary function, what it was, the answer would be to drive shareholder value. You've heard that time and time again. Now that goal seems much different. In fact, the chairman and CEO of the CRM behemoth Salesforce said, quote, I strongly believe the business of a business is to improve the world. That sounds different, right? In fact, 83% of PR executives said business has a powerful platform it can use to speak on important issues, which is exactly the opposite of what they were doing maybe maybe five or 10 years ago. This this kind of notion to me is very eye-opening. I agree. And you know, I am a massive Mark Benioff fan. He's like one of my total faves. I think I've read every book that he has written. I know you are um, a devotee of Mark. I, I am. I am. And, and he's great. Um, but I always read what he says, not with a grain of salt, but with a, 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 a tad, let's call it a touch of realism about it. He's, he's an incredible individual and it's an incredible company that he's created, but not every company can can do an act um, like Mark Benioff and Salesforce. Um, They've set themselves up to be able to do that. They also run themselves so well that they can choose uh, to take an action that may cost them financially, 
but it doesn't really impact them that significantly, nor do they even care. Right. And I 1000% respect that in every way. And I wish every company could operate that way. Um, I just think when we, when I read him, I often think, so how would this apply to, you know, said small company in, um, the healthcare sector, Mm -hmm. um, that maybe we work with as a client, um, where could they emulate, um, the, the actions and the positions that Mark and Salesforce, you know, take, and it's not very easy nine times out of 10 for them to be able to replicate that. But I do, you know, we all need heroes. We all need models <laughs> to, um, you know, aspire to be. Um, and I, I certainly think that um, how he's done it, how his leadership, he's certainly not done it alone, but how he and his leadership team have been able to do what they do um, as successfully as they have for as long as they have, it's a great place to start. And I know that one of the first things he always says is, um, their decision-making process is very values-based. It is also, uh, frank and open. Like he, they never accept that what they have done is at face value, good enough or right. They open it up to outside scrutiny they welcome input from all kinds of sources. And there's been so many examples in his books, um, particularly about um, uh, pay equity and the lack thereof uh, between their female engineers and other female executives. Um, he tackled that head on. I still don't think it's completely solved. They admit that, but they certainly, he thought this is something that we're doing right. What do you mean? Of course we are. Well, then mm -hmm. the data proved otherwise and he ripped it open and um, really made it a, candidly an issue inside the organization that they rectified. And, you know, all, all due respect for how he and his leadership team have done that. There's lots of other companies that, that do it um, on a day-to-day -day basis too that, that you and I respect that I know we've talked about. But it is hard to find the comfort zone where you can do that. And I think that's really what we're talking about here, which is comfort zones may just be a thing of the past. Yeah, I think I think that we've I think just scratching the surface on this Annenberg uh, report definitely drives that point home. And what's interesting when you're talking about Mark Benioff here and about how he's taken what he's doing at Salesforce and how he's created a culture and how he's had this openness and frankness and 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 as a culture creator. He has done certain things and, and that helps guide him in terms of where he thinks he should be as a CEO. But I really was intrigued by your notion that, you know, if you, if you plug and play that somewhere else at a different company, at a smaller company, at a company that maybe has not developed that culture as clearly as Salesforce has, it may not be great advice for somebody else. I think that's, I think that's kind of where you were headed with that initially. No doubt about it. There's, there have been very few occasions where I could apply an example from either Salesforce or other companies that I really respect, even mid-sized companies like um, Penzi's, um, the spice company. Mm -hmm. um, they're very true to their ideology and their values and everything that they do and come straight out about it politically time and time again. You know, I respect that. They're, that's a much, much, much smaller company that stays true to their values, but it's it's pretty hard. Um, 
to, to look at kind of your small to mid-sized typical organization and be able to see them functioning in a similar way um, as I'll call it as all in as Mark mm-hmm. Benioff and mm-hmm. his leadership team have been on so many political issues. Um, it, it can be too dangerous, frankly, for, for many of those companies. They just don't have the, the, the cush, right, that sure. Salesforce does to protect them financially. It's a great point. It's a great point. Yeah. So I love it. I love the, the belief that we should do that. And I love that 73% of these PR leaders also believe that their company will increase its dialogue over one or more social issue over the next year. I love seeing that it's, it's, um, it makes like the prospect of the, of the doing of the job that we do that much more exciting and invigorating, but you know, just tempering it with the, it is not always possible. And so largely part of our job may also be finding out how to not get as involved as the expectations might, you know, and the pressure might seemingly demand and still come out of it looking and functioning. Okay. I think that's a large part of our job too. Now. I agree. And, and when these PR leaders acknowledge that, you know, this dialogue on some of these key issues is going to increase over the next year, they know, you know, referencing some of the earlier numbers that we, we were about having to, to, you know, weigh in on these things that maybe are not always a winner for you from a messaging standpoint, but you have to do it anyway. And that's the expectation. So I think that's really interesting when, you know, three quarters nearly of these PR leaders acknowledge that, uh, yeah, we're going to have dialogue on some of these major social issues over the next you know year and being authentic to your brand, you know, is so important as we pointed out. If your company's not spoken out on issues before, it can be the slippery slope that we referenced for the title of this podcast, uh, today's podcast, because this report acknowledges that some companies are not always comfortable doing this. And we've already well established this, right? We've talked about it a little bit earlier about how this isn't necessarily in everybody's comfort zone, but there is an understanding that 93%, 93% of those questions say they are spending far more time talking about it and taking a position on the key societal issues because they are forced to, they're forced to leave that comfort zone that we were talking about earlier, Eileen. And I wonder if as part of this, as we kind of find our way through knowing, you know, what we know now because of these major data points, um, the Edelman Trust Barometer also delved deeply into, you know, these expectations of CEOs taking positions, leadership teams, brands, et cetera. So we know we're getting a shape or a picture. It's starting to form um, of expectation. I wonder if some of this, the outcome of this understanding may be brands even acknowledging that we're, we are reflecting on this. We understand this is important and here's um, what we are able to say about what we're doing about it right now or what, you know, we think um, is where we need to go in the future. Um, And I wonder if that is going to become part of kind of the, the pause action, right? Like at least saying we're delving into this, we're considering this, we're thinking about it because we recognize how important it is to everyone we do business with. And therefore we're taking you know, this very seriously um, and we'll be forming our plan of action. I, I think that that may be a place where 
lots of brands are going to have to be comfortable going um, because doing nothing and saying nothing truly isn't going to be an option anymore. Um, so at least, you know, reflecting that we're taking the steps of evaluation, maybe um, a place that, that, you know, leaders are going to have to push themselves to get comfortable with soon. Yeah. And, fast. And, and also, and also I want to take that a step further too, Eileen, when you're talking about these brands, you know, it's sort of like the basics of PR. Don't say no comment. Don't, you know, don't, don't, don't kick the can down the road. But at the same time, is the pressure strong enough now that even if you say we're studying it, give us a little while to come up with a plan, this and that, are people going to criticize you for even that? Which is, which is, you know, if, if you're talking about it from a PR standpoint, saying no comment or I have nothing to say, no bueno at all. If you say, I'm thinking about this and I'm going to come up with an answer for you. And if you appear to be playing ball, if you appear to be apparently thoughtful, sometimes they'll cut you some slack. But, and, and I don't know the answer to this, I'm just raising it, is the pressure so much to weigh in on these issues that you really need to think about it and talk about it before publicly you say, well, you know, we're really going to think about that and come up with a, a strategy that, that is true to our, our brand. I don't know the answer, but I just think it's an interesting question. It is. I'm intrigued by it. Absolutely. I, you know, it's funny, this, this question of pressure, it's almost like I think about when my children were younger and the whole peer pressure, you know, why would you succumb to that question? Honestly, I think it still kind of applies here. Mm -hmm. It's it, the expectation is one thing, being cognizant and aware and appreciating and factoring in these expectations from your various constituencies. Um, essential right now. No one is debating that, but acting strictly out of pressure, in my opinion, is never a good enough reason to do anything. Agreed. So if I, yeah, that's counsel that I think I would give time and time again, it's and evaluate and before you take action. Yes. No question about that. And I think it's interesting you're bringing up something that we talked about a little bit earlier, which is kind of referencing the CEO self-awareness. The self-awareness you have to have to do the job well now is far greater than perhaps it was several years ago. Right. And confidence. Uh, yep. For sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Recognizing that, um, you know, not leading as a cult, cult of personality type of leader um, right. right now is um, except, extremely important, I should say. So let's take one example of speaking out and taking a stand on a societal issue because, you know, maybe this will help us um, explore this hypothesis. Good to give an example, right? Yeah. further, yeah. The human rights campaign, the nation's largest lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer civil rights organization, partnered with 60 companies, including marquee names like Apple, Google, IBM, Meta, and Microsoft, just to name a few, signed a letter condemning the Texas governor and attorney general for their anti-LGBTQ plus efforts to write discrimination into law. This was another, you know, major step forward with mega brands stepping out on the issue. And, uh, you know, we're seeing this more and more, and this was a big one. Very controversial. And the thing Very. that I would say about this is 
the some the 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 political discourse in this country sometimes where we're vilifying a certain segment of society and i know some people might be saying oh gosh we're so politically correct we're so woke whatever there there may be some truth to that but what i'm saying is the world is not going in the direction of being exclusive and not being inclusive to people who may be underrepresented who may you know you know when it comes to when it comes to our awareness of other people now um our our sensitivities are heightened so when there is a when there is a law to to tee off on the lgbtq plus community as it, and certainly more specifically transgender uh, individuals it just doesn't feel like that's where the world needs to go and yet so many politicians and so many leaders feel so comfortable hey let's let's uh let's tee off on these people that's just not where the world's going. And so I really appreciate the fact that some of these big companies, and there are obviously others, there are 60 companies we named the top like five, are saying, no, that's not the way the world is going. That's not the way yeah. our world is going. That's not the way our world should be going. And so I feel really strongly about that because as a, you know, I have a brother with a disability and it's always been so easy to, you know, just sort of marginalize that segment of society. And now you see commercials, you see thought leadership, that sort of thing, where they're being included. That's the way the world's going. You don't have to appreciate every nuance of that journey, but you have to respect it. That's what I believe. Oh yeah. hundred percent. You and I are so aligned on that. And I hope our listeners fully recognize, um, you know, that, that that's, that's where we both stand. Um, it's, this is in my opinion, corporate activism at its very, very best doing something that's for the good of people who are so marginalized time and time and time again. Um, I really respect every company that signed up um, in, to, in this condemnation letter, my, personally myself, um, but I also recognize that not it's not a good fit for every company to take a stand like that for various reasons, right? Totally get it. But in this case, when these are powerful fortune 100 entities, largely mm-hmm. these 60 companies, and they're throwing their weight around to tell the world, not just Texas, but the world that this type of behavior is not where the world is headed, as you've said. And I think that's the perfect way to put it. So the, the um, impact of corporate activism now, I think, um, in the last three, four, five years, and especially just in the last year or so, um, the power of that and the impact of it when, you know, used for good, um, is something that we've never seen. And I'm, and I think I'm, I'm happy about it in certain ways to see that that's where we're going. Um, less and less, it feels like we're able to help on a large scale just through government entities. That's unfortunate, but I think it's really true. And I don't necessarily like it either that some of these government entities based on politics and politics of the last you know five or six years feel emboldened that, you know, we're sitting around the state house and we're like, what, what do we need to do? What laws do we need to create? Let's come up with the anti-transgender legislation. That, that would be awesome. Like, okay, let, are we going back to the point about polarization now? Because you know why they do it, right? <laughs> exactly. They do it to inflame a base. Uh, right. They're not doing it right. because th- there's actual progress that's represented or 
you know, something that there's no benefit to be made to any of the populations who may feel like they're gaining some sort of power out of that move. Mm -hmm. It's simply a political move designed Mm -hmm. to make them look like, you know, they are strong and that they hold a position of power for, you know, the values that they represent. Again, I am no political advisor, everybody. (laughs) I just play one on TV, but that's why they do it. It's power. Right. It, it's no less damaging, Rob. I'm not dismissing the behavior. But the 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 point is also, um, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. There is the fact that people are so comfortable doing it now. They're so comfortable saying, you know what, this is what we're going to do. Yeah, they're they're playing to, to a base, right? No question. But the fact that people are so comfortable saying it out loud. That's the part that, that's the part know. that gets me, honestly. I know, I know, totally. I mean, I remember when Newt Gingrich was kind of like the person who like freaked everybody out because of the things that he would say. And this is so mm-hmm. long ago, it's almost embarrassing. But at the time, his statements, they were almost like not few and far between, but there would be pauses in between, you know, maybe even months mm-hmm. would go by, maybe mm-hmm. even like a year before Newt would have another stupid campaign. Now it's like every other day you read another headline and there's some other elected official or politician who's trying to be elected, who's saying these horribly divisive and demeaning things about, you know, population groups who just don't have much of a base to be able to defend themselves. And mm-hmm. it happens time and time again now. It, it is. It's very sad. The thing I like, too, about this particular corporate activism as it relates to some of the companies that we referenced, and again, this was 60 big corporations signing on to this letter, and we mentioned like five of them. So much of them are, are, are in the information business, and, and not only are they strong, I mean, multi-billion dollar companies, they are, they also have a lot of influence in terms of you know, um, information as well. And I'm not suggesting, you know, misinformation or disinformation campaigns. I'm just saying it's nice to see some of these people, they have muscle in several different ways, not just financial. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like the, the pulpit that they hold, if you will, right. That, that, that big mic that they can grab onto and speak into and, um, have people pay attention to them, you know, using those forces for good, they're wonderful things. And I, I know, We'll always applaud that when I totally applaud companies it. are able to do it and they choose to do it. It's a wonderful thing. And Agreed. yeah, I'm, I'm happy to see this trend growing. I also just want to add, um, encourage folks to look in the show notes because we'll include links to the Annenberg report, the 2022 Annenberg report. It's huge. It's, um, 40, it's like well- 42 pages. I yeah, mean, yeah, it's, 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 exactly. it's, it's very expansive. And any communications professional should absolutely make this, you know, one of their um, bedside reading. Yeah, well, we, 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 we dove in with a couple of stats, but this thing is just chock full of statistics that back up the points that it's making. And so if you're if you are interested in this, if this is your vocation, if this is where your interests are, you should really um, you should really take a look at it. Yeah. And I, you know, let's just thank uh, the people who make that report possible. Um, you know, we're, we're very appreciative of the Edelman Trust Barometer every year, just as we're very appreciative of this USC Annenberg report and everyone from the Arthur Page Society and Golan and other entities that make this report possible. Um, 
it's something that uh, all of us benefit from. And I'm very grateful to have the research. And I think it's, it teaches me something every single year when I read it. It's the kind of thing that, you know, I, I go back to time and time again throughout the year and just derive some great insights that are beneficial to marketers and communications professionals that I work with. You're here. So that's going to do it for another episode of Can You Hear Me? Thanks for joining us. I'm Eileen Rochford, CEO of the Harbinger Group. And I'm Rob Johnson, president of Rob Johnson Communications. Remember, you can listen to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. Thanks for listening.